Colossians chapter number 4 as we continue verse by verse through the book of Colossians. A few more weeks and uh, we'll uh, be moving on. But Colossians chapter number 4 and next passage, next verses this morning. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 9. Colossians chapter number 4. We'll begin reading in verse number 7. Read down through verse number 9. The word of God says this. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that it's perfect, inspired, infallible. Lord, I pray as we begin uh, to just dive into these verses this morning, God, I pray that you'd speak to us. Lord, uh, as we pray, Lord, every week, I pray that we wouldn't hear from a man this morning, but God, I pray that we'd hear from you. I pray that you would challenge us and teach us and grow us. Father, I thank you for the wonderful music already in, in this place, Lord. I pray that everything, Lord, that's done here today, God, would lift up your holy name, that you'd be exalted in this place. Lord, blessed today like only you can. In your precious and your holy name we pray. Amen. We're coming to the close of Colossians, and as we continued and, and as we've looked at this letter that Paul has written from that Roman prison uh, to the church at Colossae, I just want to remind you, he had never visited Colossae, but he had a heart for them. He had a love for them. It's very clear in this letter that he's addressing two different things specifically. In chapters 1 and 2, he's warning them, as we saw, about false uh, doctrine, about heresy, about things that had, uh, could affect and slip into the church. He reminds them of Christ's preeminence and his sufficiency and how he's first in the world. He's first in the church and he should be first in their lives. He is trying and reminding them really to say, hey, don't follow these secular philosophies that that, that town just nine miles away in Laodicea has already been affected by. He's warning them. He's saying, hey, there's, we, there's some warnings here. We need to be careful of this new doctrine and of this false doctrine. I mean, they had, add, uh, they had added issues emphasizing extra rules and deeper knowledge and greater experiences, and Paul was warning them of that in chapters 1 and 2. Then in chapters 3 and 4, as we've seen, we see the same message that you see through the entire Bible. Our beliefs affect our behaviors. If we believe in Christ's preeminence as chapters 1 and 2, it will be shown in how we live chapters 3 and 4. We've been looking at the last few weeks the Christ-centered life. Man, some subjects and ideas we've seen during, uh, during this series is the preeminence of Christ, being a good Christian, loving your church, being complete in Christ, holding fast, um, living a Christ-centered life, Christ-centered holiness, Christ-centered churches. Man, we saw just a few weeks ago what a Christ-centered home looks like and a Christ-centered workplace. Remember that? Just if we didn't like that one, uh, how we're supposed to live in our workplaces and then uh, our in our ministry. And the next week, we're going to see what Christ-centered friendships look. But in our text this morning, Paul tells the church, and this is, these are interesting verses. As I begin to study them, I'm like, what in the world? These aren't those verses that if I was just uh, doing Russian roulette preaching and just randomly, I'm not going to just pull these three verses out. But can I just remind you that every passage, every, we don't just preach that we believe the Bible's inspired. We practice it by preaching every word. Somebody help me this morning. 
We believe it's all good, it's all important, it's all there for a reason. In these three verses, he gives us a great lesson, and he answers this question as we begin to dig into it, this. Who is it that God can use? Who does God use? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, who is it that he uses? Why does he use certain people? Man, great question. Maybe ask yourself this question this morning as we dive into this and we'll talk about it. Can God use me? You ever thought about that before? Can God use me? Man, maybe you're here this morning and you have some things in your past, like most of us do, that haunt you every once in a while. Is anybody else like that? You may feel God can't use me. You may be here this morning and look around and maybe you haven't been in church very long. And by the way, I like being around people that haven't been in church very long because most of the time they haven't been ruined by the church yet. I like new Christians because they don't carry the baggage of bitterness and hate and envy and all the stupid stuff. It's those that have been in church many times for a long time that the songs don't move them anymore. When, you, when you're newly saved and you remember how terrible you were and you hadn't been at this thing a whole lot. Is everybody tracking me this morning? I like being around this stuff. But maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been in church long. You don't know like you're supposed to lift your hand in a certain part of the song. You know. Maybe you don't know that, uh, maybe you've never been down to an altar before. Maybe you've never, you know, you just don't know the Christianese lingo that we use, and you're here this morning, you ask that question, can God use me? It's a good question. Maybe you're here and you've been in church for a long time, been in it your entire life, but it's, it's kind of boring to you. You've gotten kind of cold. You didn't really even want to come this morning. You may ask that question, could God still use me in that way? We're going to look and see what he says this morning, because we're going to see two people, really three people in this text who were all different, that God ended up using. And we're going to study them and their lives for just a minute and answer the question, who can and who does God use? Look at verse number 7 if you have your Bibles open. And I had to look up this dude's name. This is one of those hard ones to to pronounce. And I'm going to just help you with this. If you can't pronounce a name in the Bible, go online and play it like where they read the Bible to you and it'll help you, okay? So even I had to do that on this one, all right? Look at verse 7. All my state shall... Tychicus, what a name, declare unto you. So Paul says this. The first thing that Paul says here in this text, and remember, this is a letter being delivered to a specific church, the church at Colossae. He, he, what Paul's saying here, first of all, is this. Tychicus is going to tell you what I'm doing. He's going to inform you what's going on in my life. Paul's writing the letter. Tychicus and as you're going to see Onesimus are delivering the letter and he says hey this guy this first guy that's here he is going to tell you what is going on who is look at what the word of God says who is a beloved brother so this man Tychicus has been a man that is saved he's part of the church he's a beloved brother he's a follower of Jesus he is a saved man look at the next part and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. So Paul writes in this letter to them and he says this, this man Tychicus, listen, he's a, he's a saved man, he's a, and this is important, he's a faithful man and he's a fellow servant. He is serving 
along with me. He's a faithful minister. Now, the word servant, if you study your Bible, there's eight different words uh, used in the original language for the word servant. And they all have different meanings. And this is important because sometimes we'll read, the, we'll, we'll read words and we won't really understand what they mean, but words have meaning. And that's why they're there. They're to teach us something. So you had, in, in the New Testament, you'd have a word that was used that would carry the idea of household servant. That's not what word's used here. There was a word used called a supervision servant. There was a confidential servant. There was a public servant. There was a temple servant. There was a responsible servant. There's one that you may be familiar with. Paul started most, most of his letters by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, which I don't like to bore you with the Greek because that's what people that think want to act smarter than they really are typically do. But the word there is doulos, which simply means bond servant or slave. That's what Paul would use a lot of times, but that's not what he's referring to here. The word that's used here is a word that simply means a ministry servant. Then a person that served alongside Paul in the ministry. Why that's important is this. The word doulos, a bond servant, would have been slave and you would have been forced to do it. You, you, you would have, it wouldn't have been voluntary, okay? This, man, this guy volunteered. He signed up to serve. And it's evident because Paul sent him from Rome with this letter to deliver it here in Colossae. Now stay with me this morning. I promise you we're going somewhere. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8. Whom I have sent unto you. For the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your heart. So he says, I sent this faithful minister, I sent this fellow servant to you to do a couple things. Basically to do this, to check on you and to encourage you. Now remember, Paul had never been to Colossae, but yet he had a heart for God's people. I mean, he sends someone there to check on them and to encourage them. Aren't you thankful for the people that God has placed in your life that just encourage you? And that's what Tychicus was sent specifically by Paul to encourage them. Now look at verse number 9. We're going to meet another man. And you've probably heard of this one before if you know your Bible. Verse number 9, look at it. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, and notice these words, who is one of you, that they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So Tychicus, this faithful minister, this assistant pastor, if you will, of Paul, now look at this man named Onesimus. Now, if you know your Bible, you've heard of Onesimus before because there's an entire letter that Paul penned to a man named Philemon. That entire letter, guess who it's about? It's about Onesimus. So Onesimus here is the man that Paul wrote about in Philemon. So the, the book of Philemon was written by Paul. Now stay with me because this is very significant. To Philemon about Onesimus. So who was Onesimus? I mean, it says here that he was faithful. Look at verse 9. It says he was a faithful and beloved brother. I mean, he's another saved man. He was faithful. He was, a, he was loved. And then he says, who is one of you? So Paul's telling them he's a Christian just like you are. Men, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. There's a purpose here to report to the church that Paul was okay even though he was in prison. And we preach about that a lot. So there's three people in this text that's interesting. The first one is Paul. And I want you to think about Paul and as we're answering the question, who does God use? Now, when you think of Paul, we think of the New Testament. He wrote most of it. Man, we think of a guy that, man, God used, man, probably outside of Jesus Christ. Man, he's more impact on the church than anybody that's ever lived. But let's think about this. Who was Paul before he got saved? He was a terrorist. 
Matter of fact, when he got saved, he was walking down the Damascus Road with papers carrying out threatenings on the church. Right? But God changed his life. He had a past. Oh, my goodness. But, what it, but God used him. Who can God use? Man, he used Paul. See, sometimes we forget who God can use. Man, the first person, the one pinning this very letter was Paul. And by the way, at this moment when he's pinning this letter, guess where he's sitting? He's sitting in prison. Criminal. Former terrorist saved on the Damascus Road. Church planner, missionary, and evangelist. Who does God use? Man, he used a terrorist here. Then this next man, Tychicus. Big T, as I like to call him. Tychicus. Paul's assistant. Guy King uh, called him this. He said, Tychicus was a man with a message. He was a brother, a faithful minister, a servant. Interesting, he was also the same man that Paul used to deliver the, the letter to the Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. So this guy was a close, this was a good dude, man. This was a, this was a, a, a person that would have been kind of like your church person, a person that had been in church, a person that had been faithful. God used him too. So he used a terrorist. He uses the Christian school kid. That's what Tychicus was. The one who'd been around it his whole life. Man, he, 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 was, he, he, he was one that Paul, God used in a great way. Then now Onesimus. So you had Tychicus. He was a man with a message. But you know who Onesimus was? He was a man with a past. If you know who Onesimus was, he was a man with a past. But you know what call, Paul calls him here? We're going to talk about his past. Paul calls him a brother. He calls him one of you. If you know your Bible, it's a familiar name about that, that man Onesimus who was at one time had worked for Philemon. So Philemon, and, and stay with me here, Philemon was a wealthy landowner and slave owner. Onesimus was one of Philemon's slaves. And what ends up happening, we're going to study this when we work through Philemon. So he would have been an employee of Philemon. Well, Onesimus, if you, if you read the, the one chapter in Philippians, or Philemon, Onesimus was lazy, wasn't a good employee. Onesimus ends up being a thief, and he steals from Philemon. That's the one that God's using here. He ends up basically quitting his job and running off and leaving uh, Philemon high and dry. By the way, he stole from him. By the way, he ends up being, a, being in prison. He was a felon. That's who Onesimus was. This dude was no good. But when he quit on Philemon and when he left, he met a man named Paul who told him about, um, oh my goodness, about a man named Jesus. Who can God use? He could use anybody. Onesimus, listen, a thief, a felon, wouldn't have passed the background check to work in the nursery? Huh? Wouldn't have been one of the ones that we would probably had come up and preach or testify as church people. Man, what, he wouldn't have been one. Listen, he, he, was a, he wasn't the servant like Tychicus, the word. Remember the word used for Tychicus meant ministry servant? The one that was used for Onesimus when he worked for, for Philemon was the bond servant. He was literally a slave, and he was not very good at it. Paul has to write a whole letter to Philemon to say, hey, Paul, hey, Philemon, you need to receive him back. You need to forgive him. He's been saved by the grace of of God. Onesimus is a beautiful picture of what God can do and who God can use. Our hypocritical, judgmental selves probably all, don't always like who God uses, but the truth is, y'all listen to me this morning, God uses whoever he wants. 
he used Tychicus, that Christian school kid, and he used Onesimus, man, that cheat and that quitter and that liar. He used Paul, that terrorist. God, y'all listen to me, church. God is a God of grace. The fact that he would use you. The fact that he would use me. You may be here this morning. You may have a past or even a present right now. But you don't think God can use. Can I just tell you this? He can. You may be here this morning and you don't think you have a past. And that God should use you. Let me just say this. You better wake your sorry tail up. I've met people like that. Come in like they're God's gift to the church. James 4, 6 says this, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he said, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Only, y'all listen, only by the grace of God does he use any of us. <laughs> we must be careful about thinking that it's us, something we've done. No, it's only what he's done this morning. Only by the grace of God. I mean, he used a terrorist, he used a minister, and he used a fellow. And isn't that awesome to think about this morning? I want to give you just three. Three, quick three things this morning, practically speaking, to answer this question in your life, can God use me? Who does God use? The first thing is God uses people who follow him simply. You know every one of those, Paul, Onesimus, Antichicus, you know what they all had in common? They were all saved by the grace of God. If you're saved here this morning, y'all look at me. If you've trusted Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, God wants to use you. He didn't save you just to fill a chair. He didn't save you. Just No, he saved you for a purpose. He wants to use you in a great way. Now, we all don't get used to do the same job, but the same God uses us, and the job that he uses you to do is just as important as the job that he uses me to do. If you're saved, he's got a job for you to do. Listen, if, you, if, if, if what your job is and what God's led you and called you to do is to vacuum the floor, that's not a low calling. That's a great calling by the grace of God this morning. Listen, he's called you to serve in the nursery. And if you're a lady, he has. Somebody help me this morning. Man, that's, that's not something to minimize. Man, if, if, if you're on the security team or whatever it is or something that nobody else knows about, if you're saved, God has something for you to do. He wants to use you. He uses people who follow him. And people who follow him, listen, guess what they will be doing? They will be serving God uses people who follow him. The second thing I want you to notice, and this is, this is a big one. This is, for our, the world we live in today, this is huge. God uses contributors, not consumers. God uses contributors, not consumers. What were these dudes doing? They had left Rome, and guess what they were doing? They were dropping off letters for the preacher and for the church. They were contributing to the work of God. They were actively serving. I've said it already once this morning, but church is more than a chair. We live in the we live in the days of we live in the days of church shopping and church hopping. And I know that God leads people to go to the churches and I'm thankful sometimes. Somebody help me this morning. God does do that. God leads people here, God leads people to other churches. I get that. But you know we live in the day where Unfortunately, as pastors and as churches, it becomes more of about what we get out of something than what is anybody waking here this morning? 
That's what we live in. That's why, that's why churches have to spend thousands of dollars in advertising. That's why there's, uh, is everybody, is, I believe we should do our things to the best of our ability. But they hear, that's the truth of the matter. We are a self-indulged generation when it comes to the church because we've been spoiled rotten. I just want to remind you this this morning. You know why we've been saved? For God's glory to serve while we're here on this earth. As my brother mentioned earlier, to give the gospel out. We've been blessed to be a blessing. You know you're becoming a church consumer. I read an article this week. There's a man named Thomas Rayner. He, for a long time, he was the president of Lifeway, and he does tons of research when it comes to churches. Somebody, some preacher sent this to me, and he says, you know you are becoming a church consumer. And I want you to just ask yourself, are you a consumer or a contributor this morning? I have to ask myself these questions sometimes. But here, here's, what it, here's where they are. You know you're becoming a church consumer Number one, when your worship attendance becomes optional. Number two, and this is a guy that has studied churches, studied church growth. He's, he, he's, there's not a bigger name when it comes to statistics in churches. You replace in-person attendance with digital attendance, though I fully understand there's people that are, are unable to attend in person. But when that becomes an option and you're able. Number three, your attendance to a small group is declining or you stop attending completely. Number four, your attitude towards church is more critical. Number five, your giving declines or stops. Number six, you critique sermons instead of listening prayerfully. Number seven, you see church, and this, is, this was a huge one, you see church as a place to meet your needs instead of your meeting the needs of others. Number eight, you move readily to another church when your needs are not met. Number nine, you get, this, you get frustrated at what other church members aren't doing. Number 10, and I think all of them kind of go to this one, you don't pray for your church regularly. Can I just stop there before I read number 11? Do you pray for your church every day? Man, do you pray that God put a hedge around this place? Do you pray for the people sitting across this room? And I'm not self-absorbed, but I'm just asking this. Do you pray for your preacher? Because he's in the trenches getting attacked and fighting hell with a... Is everybody... He's fighting sin in his own life every day. You pray for me. You pray for Matt. You pray for Pastor Colin. You pray for our teenagers. Man, I just want to encourage you. I'm just telling you this morning. I believe this. A great church is built, and I've said this before, just like a great marriage is built, when people learn to forgive each other over and over and over again. When we make it not about us, but we make it about him. Listen, none of us are, we're all jacked up this morning. We need each other. But if we're all going to fulfill what God wants us to do here on the old dead end road, listen, we've got to find that spot that he wants us in to serve, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's in the choir, wherever it is. Man, find it, playing in the band, whatever it is. Man, if it's just a ministry of prayer, that's a great ministry. Man, be a contributor in some way. You know, church is the only place you go that we don't charge you admission to get in. Think about this. Use our toilet paper. Just being honest. Drink our coffee. I'm going to give you a free t-shirt when you leave here. This or No, you already got yours. It's for the later service. Y'all took them all. Somebody help me. We didn't have enough for the next service. You give free Baptist. You, ain't, you didn't even know go to your church. Show up even for a t-shirt. Think about it. Drink coffee. You don't have to pay for it. Food. Does everybody see what I'm saying there? Sometimes we get it flip-flop. I just want to encourage you. Be a contributor. Serve somewhere. You know, even just being an encouragement. Just being an encouragement. 
Some people have the gift of discouragement. Have the gift of encouragement. Man, positive things. Let me give you the last one. We got we to quit this morning. Man, he uses people that are saved and follow him. He uses contributors, not consumers. Listen, I don't just, I've, I've said it before. If you're looking for church shopping and you're looking for all that stuff, there's 300-something churches in Iredell County. That ain't this place. This is a hospital. Y'all hear me this morning? This is a place for broken people this morning. Hey, this is a place, listen, this ain't a country club. Y'all hear me this morning? This is a place for broken people. This is a place where I want people that never stepped foot into church before, that come in Sunday morning, that are just looking for help and looking for some love. And anybody, listen, and you know what? Those people usually make it here. You know who struggles? The Pharisees struggle. Because it becomes about us, and I'm guilty. You're looking at a recovering Pharisee this morning. You're looking at one. But I, I have to go back to that moment when I first kneeled, oh my goodness, when I first kneeled at the foot of the cross and God changed my life and I realized I'm no better than anybody else this morning. It's only by His grace. And when I look at it that way, when I see that brother who's struggling or that sister who's going through something, then I look at him and I try to look at him through the eyes of grace because I remember, oh God, He can use a pawn. He can change his terrorist life. God can use a Tychicus. God can use an Onesimus, a thief. We, we need to stop trying to disqualify everybody. Some of us need to think about the Bible. I'm tired of podcasts. I'm tired of all this stuff. People disqualifying everybody. Some of us, the way our attitude is towards other brothers and sisters, we ought to cut Psalms out of the Bible because of what David did. Thankful. We ought to thank God this morning that He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. And it's only by His mercy, oh my goodness, man, it's only by His mercy that we're not consumed and we're not on a slick road to hell this morning. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, oh my goodness, Christ died for us this morning. He uses, thirdly this morning, faithful people. He uses faithful people, willing, forgiven, people with a message of the gospel. Let me just give you a couple unlikely people that God used. This is good news. He can use you. Noah. Y'all remember Noah? Noah was a drunk. <laughs> God used him. Abraham lied multiple times. Y'all remember him? The father of many nations. Jacob, what was he known as? A planter and deceiver, and God used him. Y'all remember Moses? Pretty sure God used him. He had an anger problem. He committed murder. Samson struggled with lust and anger. David, an adulterer, committed manslaughter, conspiracy. Paul, terror, the list could go on. Peter, who God used to preach the greatest message outside of the Sermon on the Mount. Peter sat around a fire and they said, you're one of, of Jesus' followers. And he said, no, not me. So a few years later, guess what God did? Use him to preach on Pentecost. I just want to tell you this morning, God can use you. Listen, God wants to use you. If you've got breath in your lungs this morning, your story ain't over because it's his story. It's not your story anyways. He wants to use you by grace, man, to see lives change. It doesn't matter if you were a felon in your past. It doesn't matter if you were a Pharisee in your past. It doesn't matter if you were a, is anybody awake in here this morning, an adulterer in your past. God can and will redeem. Oh, my God. I don't even want to quit this morning. we got to stop because i got to do this again. My whole point is this. God can use a man with a message that grew up in it his whole life. God can use a terrorist. God can use a thief. <laughs> God, man, that's awesome, isn't it? Message of grace. God can use you this morning. 
He, he uses people who follow him. He uses people that humble themselves in the sight of the Lord. He uses people that aren't always worried about everybody else. Man, but they look and say, oh God, if you could even use me. I've had people, I can't believe that God, you would let him and God would let him. I can't believe that God lets me. God, he's so good to us, isn't he? God wants to use you, I'm telling you. He ain't done, he ain't done with you yet. Heads bowed, eyes closed, altars open, mask will sing. Let's stand our feet.